0: Let's reopen our Bibles to that 45th Psalm and delight in the song of loves about our Lord Jesus Christ and His love for the church as His bride. I made some comments earlier about the doctrine of election being a stepping stone and part of the foundation of the truth of the gospel that always leads us to Christ. And here in this psalm... If you don't understand election, and if you don't preach election and believe election, you miss out on the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Because there's two categories in this psalm. It's his enemies that he rides his horse over, and it's his bride that he marries. And the difference is his choice. Because the Bible says those that he marries, in Ephesians chapter 1, he chose before the foundation of the world, and those that are his enemies, according to First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, they were appointed unto that disobedience. Election means that he chose some and left others, which we call the doctrine of reprobation, though that word is in the Bible, Second Corinthians thirteen five, that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But the point being, even in a psalm like this, we see a distinction that God made by election between his enemies and his bride. And without election, Jesus Christ isn't really much of a savior at all. If you don't teach election, then Jesus is a great big loser and a liar. He's a liar because he says he loves everyone, and yet he's going to burn most of them in hell. That's right. He's a loser because he says he wants to save them all, but he only saves a few. What kind of a savior is that? That's, the, that's another Jesus that's right. that some people get excited about, but it's another Jesus and it's another gospel. That's right. And it's always presented in very favorable terms. It's always presented by very nice people because there is another spirit. The devil does not come up and say... I'm the devil. I'm going to hell, and I want you to go to hell with me. Right. He comes up and says, Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love this Jesus that's so easygoing and different than the Jesus in that church where you go? That's how he does it. He's always done it that way. Right. He doesn't come up and say, I'm the devil, and I want to lead you into heresy and hell. He comes as a minister of righteousness. These are the words of 2 Corinthians 11. A minister of righteousness and an angel of light. That's right. Right. Now, that's tough. How in the world do we detect a spirit that's an angel of light and a minister of righteousness? We go to 1 John chapter 4 and say, try the spirits, whether they're of God. And how do you try them? By the Word of God. By the Word of God. The Apostle John would say, if they speak according to what we speak, then it's the spirit of truth. But if they don't agree with what we've written in the New Testament, it's the spirit of error. And you can leave it alone. We come into Psalm 45 and we see this distinction God made, which makes His love all that more special. If Jesus married those in heaven, but loved those in hell as much as those in heaven, what kind of a marriage is that? Where a man gets up and says, I love you, wife, but I love all those whores outside this marriage celebration just as much. How meaningful is that? When the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, The statement takes on its value because the love is focused on a special object that it will never lose. Jesus will never leave those that he loves. But they say that most everyone in hell is loved by Jesus as much as those in heaven. So Jesus left them. He deserted them. And he cast them into hell. That is not our Savior. Our Savior has loved all those the Father gave him. Listen, we do believe in arranged marriages we believe in the arranged marriage between Jesus Christ and us. Because God arranged it before the foundation of the world by choosing us to be the bride of Jesus Christ. Verses 2 through 7 are the conquering prince, the mighty warrior, the the Lord strong and mighty in battle from Psalm 24. Verse 1 was an introduction. Verse 17 is a conclusion. Verses 2 through 7 are about the mighty conqueror. To put it into terms, and I'm thinking of that sermon preached many years ago, the world's greatest lover, or he is altogether lovely, every woman delights in a successful husband. And rightly so. You want your husband to be a performer and to accomplish things. I mean, that's just, you know, the, the, the star quarterback in the football team gets a few more dates than someone else in high school. It was. It's always been that way, and it and it should be that way, because glory is given to accomplishment. But my whole point is not about high school and all the envy that that creates. My point is about the Lord Jesus Christ being so great. Amen. And so to to meditate in a passage like this, when it says, "Thou art fairer than the children of men," how do you want to measure fairness for the sake of the argument? Looks, riches. Creative ability. Do you want a husband, and do you, do you admire that's got creative ability? How about very gracious and kind speech? Is he decent and entertaining? Is the Lord going to entertain us decently? Does he do it every day? How about little acts of kindness? Every time that sun shines on my skin, especially in the spring I love spring's my favorite season by far the Lord's going to show me tender kindnesses. He's fairer than all the children of men. Measure him any way you want to. He is worthy. That song we just sang, he's worthy to be loved by us and he's worthy to be loved by all mankind. Right. How do you want to measure him? You want some meditation for this act? Send me a list. I'll rejoice in it. He's... Do you want to be able to beat up all the bad guys and protect you from all the, the boogeymen? The Lord Jesus Christ took on the devil Amen. and defeated him and rescued us out of the palace. What a story. What a joyful sound we, should, we ought to have when we read this and think upon it, and meditate upon it. This is better than any fairy tale that you can read. Jack and the Beanstalk? There wasn't a Jack, and there aren't beans that grow all the way up to the clouds. Oh, you don't need those kind of stories. You need Psalm 45. Amen. It'll make, it'll change your life. Let's go to verse eight and look at the royal lover. Amen. He's gone. He's he's gone off. He's defeated his enemies. He's come back. He's laid his weapons up in the armory. He's changed clothes. And the Bible wants us to know that because look at what it says. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. That is not, Those are not the smells of battle. Those are not the smells of blood, sweat, and dirt. That's when he comes back after having defeated his enemies and receives up, us up into glory as his church. I mean, we're in this affectionate relationship with him now because he's all tender toward us. There's nothing hard. There's nothing evil smelling. It's all pleasant. It's precious. We have the, we have the sweets of Zion's field now. It's just going to get better when we go to heaven. All thy garments smell, it just permeates him of myrrh and aloes and cassia. I'm not going to chase you through the Bible. I already told you I'd made a choice that I wasn't going to do that. These are special fragrances. A couple of them were used in the special anointing oil of the priests and could not be duplicated by the rest of Israel. They were not to take these ingredients and put them together because they were special. Some of these ingredients were used by women when they perfumed their bed to make the ultimate lovemaking place so that you would have something for your olfactory senses as well. That, those your, that's your nose. Your olfactory senses so that all your senses are being overwhelmed with lovemaking. It's in the Bible. It's in Proverbs chapter 7. It's in the Song of Solomon. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. To help you understand the 8th verse. Let's remember verses 7 and 9. Verse 7 says he has a bunch of fellows. These are called the friends of the bridegroom. A bunch of fellows, but he had the Holy Spirit and anointing poured upon him more than them. And then in verse 9 we have honorable women that were attendants to the queen. So there's this plurality of female participants in the wedding party and a plurality of male participants in the wedding party all for the picture of this great grand wedding party he changed clothes put on his sweetness these these fragrances are not to tell you that in heaven Jesus is going to smell like myrrh and aloes and cassia these fragrances are his beauty we're not going to get too hung up on swords and bows and arrows are we we're not going to get hung up on these He is perfectly aromatic. And the the scent and the virtues and the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ are beautiful. To behold, whether it's beholding them by the eyes, beholding them by the ears, grace is poured in thy lips. We love his speech, but we love his aroma. The sweetness of his character is delightful. All his garments are permeated with these scents that are highly exalted in the Bible. Remember, his weapons... His weapons were, and his purpose in fighting, and the way he fought was truth and meekness and righteousness. We want to remember those things about him and not get hung up on the sense. You don't need to ask Chris after the assembly, our chemist, our resident chemist, what the properties are of these particular aromas. The point is, it's beautiful to your senses. Right. He is delightful. And he's been in his ivory palaces, which is a palace decorated with one of the most expensive commodities on earth, which is ivory. And there he's been made glad by those fellows delighting in him. The friends of the bridegroom and the honorable women all delighting in him. Because the Lord Jesus Christ delights in our praise. The Bible says he does not take delight in the legs of a man. The Lord takes delight in those that fear him. Those that fear him and praise him, he takes delight in them. And so out of the ivory palaces... Out he comes. He's been made glad. Do you know what the angels are doing in heaven? Have you read Revelation chapter 5? They are making him glad by their praise. That, That hundred million strong plus millions of millions is singing the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. This is not a warrior going into battle. This is a lover coming to a wedding. This is a husband, a bridegroom coming to a wedding out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. And the they is the plural of the fellows in seven and the honorable women in nine. It's those around the Lord Jesus Christ under the figure and metaphor of this song. I hope you can understand that. We do not want to take every one of these and try to fit a specific on them. There's angels in heaven that worship Jesus and all the saints in heaven worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They sing praises to him and they make him glad. Right. He's worthy of it. It goes on to describe the wedding party and the scene before us. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. For this song, as it describes the marriage scene, the women that are there are honorable. They're the daughters of kings. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. This wedding party. Who is it? It's you. But it's under the metaphors of a song. If you were all a little bit older, I would pick on Karen and Richard Carpenter and take their song "Close to You" and tell you that there's a lot of metaphors in there. That we but we don't believe about stars falling from heaven or anything like that. You got to understand, it's a song. And if you get hung up on every little clause and phrase, you miss the message of the song. And the song is a love song. It's an esteemed crowd that's there. Is the point. King's daughters are among your honorable women. And if you want a specific application, if you think I'm cheating on the passage, God has made you girls and women in this assembly kings and priests under your God. And your parents were so that that are believers. You are daughters of a king. You're daughters of a queen. If you need a specific, but you shouldn't get the overall picture of the esteemed crowd that's in heaven around the Lord Jesus Christ and that makes up his church. They're the sons of God. They're kings and priests in their own right. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. This is what he thinks of the people in the church. This is what he thinks of the crowd in heaven. King's daughters, honorable women, fellows, but they just didn't get quite as much Holy Spirit as he did Because the Holy Spirit was given without measure to him with that anointing. And that anointing fell down over his clothes. So like as it describes Aaron in Psalm 133, all of his garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Because he was anointed so fully when God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and then crowned him with glory and honor in heaven. Now we change a little bit. That's a description. The, the, The mighty prince, our Lord Jesus Christ, has laid aside his weapons, changed his clothes and is, getting, is preparing for his marriage from the bridegroom's standpoint. Verses 8 and 9. He had honorable women as attendants, male and female. He had an illustrious crowd around him. Now there is some advice going to be given to the bride. Starting in verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. This is what we should all do when we come to the Bible. Humble ourselves and listen attentively to what is being said that would help us serve the Lord better. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. This is the call of discipleship. Jesus spoke these words over and over again. If any man come after me, he must hate his father, his mother, does it say his father's house, his own people, his brother, his sister, his wife, yea, his own life also he must hate in order to love me. This is the call of discipleship. Because to marry the Lord Jesus Christ, remember what he said? Whoso doesn't hate, if a man does not hate these other natural relationships in comparison to his love of Christ, he is not worthy to be my bride. I mean, the words are, he is not worthy to be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. But the issue at stake in this psalm is being his bride. Forget your family. Forget the world. Forget your friends. Forget those that don't believe. Forget them. Forget also thine own people. Do you know what Jesus would say when a man says, I need to go bury my dead father? What did he say? Let the dead bury the dead, but come thou and follow me. The lesson is is throughout. Not to be a lover of those relationships and let them compete with Jesus Christ. Of course we love our wives. Of course we honor our parents. Of course, of course, of course. Of course. But we are to rightly divide the Scriptures, and in comparison, there is no comparison. There's no competition between the two. Right. And so here we have the Lord saying, I'm going to be enough for you. Forget your worldly friends. Forget your worldly family. Forget those relationships down there. This is the relationship that counts. Forget also thine own people and thy Father's house. He has called us out of this world. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world now waiting to go to our eternal home in heaven because our husband's preparing a home for us forever. We're just passing through this place. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. If you come after him with your whole heart, that means he's made a change in you and you are showing that change and giving him what he wants. He wants your love. Do you know how much he wants your love? He made it the first commandment. And he said, thou shalt love me with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you forget your own family, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that was the hardest test you would have. Sometimes it was money, but usually it was family. And he said, I didn't come to bring peace in families. You know, whenever any preacher gets up and says that God wants peace in families, he's not preaching the Bible. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword and a man's foes will be they of his own household. That is a part of the gospel. And we want to beg God for mercy that we won't have to pay that price. But if that price is ever paid, it's because Jesus Christ ordained it to see if we love him more than family. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. That so is an adverb based on what just went before us. Daughter, listen very carefully and consider what I'm about to tell you. Forget your family. Forget your people. Forget where you're coming from. Forget your father's house. Delight in your king. Delight in your bridegroom. Didn't we just sing the, 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 the bride eyes not her garment? Nor hear, or, or her dear bridegroom's face but looks on his pierced hands? The, the, the focus is to get our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ and on what he's done for us and off our families. Verse 11, taught throughout the New Testament. Many verses could be raised, I've mentioned a few. For he is thy Lord. In comparison to family and Jesus Christ, what's the comparison? He is thy Lord. Worship thou him. Makes, I hope it's making sense. We're going a little faster than I wanted to, but I hope, it's making, I hope you see it. This bride is in her bridal chamber. Her attendants, and God is speaking through the prophet, are putting on her clothes. She hasn't met him yet. She's about to be brought to the king. It's going to tell us. She hasn't been brought yet. She is putting on her fine raiment. And she's getting encouragement from these fellows that are speaking on the behalf of God. And the encouragement is, I know, I know this is a big change in your life because you're no longer going to be one of us. You're going to go marry the king. You're going to be living with the king from now on. Are you? So there's encouragement. Encouragement. Forget your father's house. Forget those people. They're nothing in comparison to what you're marrying. This man loves you more than any of them loved you. This man can do more for you than any of them can do for you. In fact, those people don't even love this man. They don't even love the God of heaven. They don't even love the truth of the gospel. Just forget them and love him. Right. He is your Lord. There's no comparison between the two. Worship thou him. Listen to the encouragement. Whenever there's a marriage in this church, I hope all the... The young women get together and encourage the young women to go be great wives. But we can't leave verse 11 yet. It says, so shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. That is, that is amazing. Yes. That is amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ desires, but greatly desires, our beauty. What made us beautiful? The garments that we're about to read about are garments that He made for us by shedding His own precious blood. His blood and death are not brought into this love song because it wouldn't add to the luster of this particular presentation. They're found in other places. We happen to know that the fine white linen that the saints wear in heaven is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has clothed them with that righteousness that He He bought the wedding dress. Yes. He planned, He designed the wedding dress, and do you know what its design is? It's perfect righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Drink down over us. How many wrinkles are in it? Remember where we started this morning. How many wrinkles in this wedding dress? Have you women ever gone through that worry and hassle? It's going to get a wrinkle? Oh, sorry. I shouldn't. Is it going to have a spot? A blemish? Listen to what Paul, how thorough Paul was by the Spirit. Any other such thing? Ephesians chapter 5. Any other such thing? Nothing like that. No spots, no blemishes, no wrinkles. The Lord Jesus Christ has perfected... What what about the bath that goes underneath? He has sanctified and cleansed us with the washing of water by the Word. Ephesians 5.26 And how is it paid for? He gave Himself. Ephesians 5.25 Which we started off with. Isn't that wonderful? So shall the King greatly desire thy beauty. This is a love story. He picks ugly sinners and makes us beautiful in His sight. This is the gospel. This is the joyful sound. When you get on your knees and confess to the Lord in heaven for your sins, He forgives them. He can speak it because He's made you beautiful in His sight if you'll, for, if you'll repent. Without repentance, you're not beautiful. Right. Legally you are, but not practically. So shall the King greatly desire thy beauty. When we turn to Him and we love Him, we show the work of grace in our hearts. He loves us, and He loves us and greatly desires us. And we're clothed in His perfect righteousness. And this is encouragement being given by the gospel, spoken by the handmaidens and the virgin companions of this bride. All which make up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, male and female, on earth and in heaven, in a a picture of a song for you to delight in. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Bride, listen to this. Forget your family. Forget your father's house. The king is going to greatly desire your beauty. He is your Lord. There is no comparison with anyone else or your family. Worship him, and the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. You are going to be such a delightful bride. O brethren, listen You are going to be such a delightful bride that the richest city on earth, the daughter of Tyre, shall be there with a gift, and the rich among the people are going to be entreating your favor. You are so illustrious, and you are so beautiful, that the Gentiles are going to flow to you. The rich Gentiles from the city of Tyre. There are whole chapters in your Bible about the city of Tyre. Have you, do you know anything about the history of the city of Tyre? I'm not going to take you there. It's too, too distracting. Very rich city. God spoke against their riches. But the daughter of Tyre is going to be there with a gift. Were there any from Tyre and Sidon that came and met the Lord? Je- Thank you. Yes, brother. Yes. Right. The woman of Canaan. And others came from Tyre and Sidon. To meet the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to come with a gift to this wedding party. Bride, don't be nervous. You're so illustriously beautiful. You're so desirable that even even the best woman of Tyre is going to be there. And the rich among the people are going to entreat your favor. And brethren, there have been rich in the history of this world that have come to the church of Jesus Christ and asked for a place in the church of Jesus Christ and entreated the favor of God's people. There have been emperors and kings that have asked for the church of Jesus Christ to pray for them. Some are recorded in the Bible. Others are recorded in history. Because the church is that great. How is she great? The Lord has made her great. And we have turned from everything else in this world to follow Him, and that is visible to those that have a heart like ours. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. That is so exciting. You're going through the gifts at this wedding celebration from the daughter of Tyre. A little Jewish girl. You know, Anybody who read this for the next 1,000 years would have read it as a little Jewish girl. Guess how we have to read it as little Gentile boys and girls. You mean the rich city of Tyre is going to want to bring... Yes. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I've told you. I've told you, and I'm going to back it up with a Bible reminder. That if the world knew who we were, the paparazzi of this world would be outside this door. That's right. How do we know that? First Corinthians chapter 2. If this world had known who the Lord Jesus Christ was, they wouldn't have touched him. It tells us that in First Corinthians chapter 2. If they had known they were dealing with the Lord of glory, they would not have treated him the way they did. Just out of pure fear out of pure reverence for the things they can see. But, you know, there are Gentiles and inhabitants of the city of Tyre that have come because God converted their souls, and they wanted to be part of that church. Verse 13, The king's daughter is all be- glorious within. We have several verses now in the third person. It's narrative. It's no longer being addressed to her. Look at, look at the pronouns in verse 12. At the end of the verse, Thy favor. See, it's still in the second person addressing the bride. Verse 11, Thy beauty. Still addressing the bride. Verse 10. Hearken, O daughter. Now there's narrative. It goes to the third person. Verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. The description of this woman putting on her clothes. The king's daughter is all glorious within. That is the church. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. And who made us beautiful? The Lord Jesus Christ by arraying us in His righteousness. Washing away our sins. Taking away every wrinkle, spot, and blemish. So that we are holy and without blame before Him in love. Amen. The king's daughter is all glorious within. That doesn't mean within her soul. It means within her bridal chamber. Her clothing is of wrought gold. Wow, that's pretty decent clothes when it's made of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. We're getting a description of this marriage supper of the Lamb here on earth and here and in heaven when it's fulfilled and finalized and formally completed. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. She hasn't been yet. She's in her bridal chamber being encouraged by these other women. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. Mention, there's the king in the second person. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. This is the church on earth, and this is the church in heaven. In either case, the church comes together like we are about to do and worships their husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, worships the bridegroom, worships their king, delights and glories in him. She's all glorious within her chamber room where she's putting on her fine raiment of needlework, putting on clothing made from the gold of ophir that was mentioned earlier in the chapter. He has made us beautiful. You, by the grace of God, are changed from the vile sinner that you are and the vile sinner that I am into a glorious object of the affections of the perfect Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. It is beyond belief, except we believe it. And we say, Lord, I believe, as one man once said to Jesus, help thou my unbelief to believe this in its fullness. You are a delight to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not when you sin, He chastens us in loving kindness and brings us back to Himself. But He never leaves us nor forsakes us. With gladness and re- is there gladness in heaven? Is there gladness in the church on earth? Is there rejoicing in heaven? Is there rejoicing in the church on earth? Are all the attendants, all the all the individual people that make up the church of God here and the church of God there, are they all rejoicing? Are they all, are they all excited about this thing that's taking place? Do they love looking at the beauty of the church considered separate from them as a body? The psalm. Right. They're delighting in it. Instead of thy fathers, the fathers that you left, oh, this is. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. Did Jesus Christ teach a lesson that any man who forsakes father and mother, brother, sister, houses, lands, now shall receive? A hundredfold, a hundredfold now in replacement, brothers, sisters, fathers mothers in the church of jesus christ and what else do they get tacked on eternal life in the world to come verse 16 instead of thy fathers shall be thy children through the through the gospel of jesus christ through his electing grace we have all these relationships that are that replace those relationships of family and friends in the spirit spiritual kingdom of the lord jesus christ in a local church and so many more when we get to heaven the spirits of just men made perfect Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. Because every time you perform an act of service and love and charity toward a brother or a sister in this assembly or another assembly of true believers, when you love them, serve them, teach them, provoke them, warn them, instruct them, help them, serve Jesus Christ better, you're making princes in all the earth. Anything that we do as a church or you do as an individual toward someone else, you're making them spiritual princes in the earth. You're building up the kingdom of God. And everyone in the kingdom of God is a prince. right? Right. Because we're kings and priests unto our God. Made that way by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 2 through 7. The conquering prince who destroyed all our enemies, including sin, death, hell, and the grave. Verses 8 through 16. The royal lover who puts on a different set of clothing but it's very pleasant, very aromatic, and he loves us. He loves us dearly. He greatly desires our beauty. We are all glorious in that chamber where we are being clothed upon with the clothing, the the wedding dress that he bought for us by the purchase price of his own precious blood. And what are we called upon to do? Leave the enticements of this world of family and friends that would take us away from the true worship of the true Jesus Christ and follow him with all our hearts because he is our Lord and he is worthy of that worship. And instead of those relationships, we will have a whole lot more relationships through the expansive power of the kingdom of heaven that is growing all the time where we are able to invest in princes of the earth and be spiritual fathers and mothers to the children of this assembly. David's heart was blown up with wanting to get this stuff out. He got out verses 2 through 16, and he concludes, I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations Has he done it? Amen. Has his name do we know his name? Yes, that's right. The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Son of the living God. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. God did it by exalting his son Jesus and raising him from the dead. David did it by writing the word of God. The Holy Spirit does it every day by witnessing in our hearts and blessing the preaching of the gospel to make mention of his name. Therefore, shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Amen. And the church is remembered in all generations as well, because it has survived all generations, and it will be exalted in heaven. The people shall praise the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride forever and ever, and the angels will praise it, because this is the marriage of Jesus Christ with his elect, This is the gospel. This is the joyful sound. This is the love story that cannot be excelled. There's nothing that comes close to it. This is our Savior. When we come to his table, it's not a time of doom. It's not a time of gloom. We come to his table and it's a time of rejoicing because he endured the doom and the gloom for us to purchase a wedding dress, to pay the dowry, so that we could be married to the Lord Jesus Christ, the conquering prince of the first half, And be married to the royal lover of the second half that greatly desires our beauty and considers us all glorious within. And he's taken away every wrinkle, spot, and blemish that could mar you when you get to heaven. When you stand before him, it's not going to be barely saved. When you stand before him, it's going to be perfect in his righteousness. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.